Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Coach's Corner where we talk with other coaches and people who inspire, move, and motivate people to action. Listeners will learn about coaching and the many coaching niches and have an opportunity to ask questions of the many wonderful coaches who are my guests. We'll also take your questions and you might even have the opportunity for coaching right on the show. I'm Coach Andrew Poritz from Ingenuity Coaching. I help people to discover and fulfill their passions and greatness. My mission is to inspire and challenge you to dream big dreams, and with my coaching, help you to manifest those dreams into reality. You can visit my website at www.myfuturecoach.com, and you can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash coachandrew. If you're listening live and you want to call in with a question, the phone number here is 646-929-2893. Again, that's 646 646- Nine two nine two eight nine three. We also have a live chat room right on the show page, so feel free to join in. My guest tonight is Dinah Day, a noted executive image and career transition coach. Dinah is the CEO of the Image Circle, Inc., with more than 25 years' experience in television, film, theater, network sportscasting, and career counseling. Dinah takes an acutely personal approach with her clients in applying her on-camera techniques for the purpose of clarifying the many ways we come across to others. We determine what course of action to take in making improvements and adjustments in appearance, presentation skills, self-confidence, and business leadership development. You can learn more about her at www.dinadayimagecoach.com. Dinah, are you here? I am here, Andrew. All right. Thank you, you so much for You're having me well. on your show. My pleasure. So great to have you. I, I love your name, Dinah. Oh, thank you. I can't tell you the numbers of times that people have said, oh, it's D- Diana, Dina, Donna, Doris. Well, so you know, I guess Dinah is uh, an unusual name, but uh, thank you very much. I love it, too. Well, of course, I think of Doris Day, and I think of Dinah Shore. And, oh, yes. Uh, and I think of Dinah, won't you blow your horn? Oh, yeah. All kinds of things. But it's a, you know, I, li- I like the alliteration, and it's, just, it's a really, really excellent name for you. Oh, thank you so much. So, yes, sir. image and career coaching. Yes. Everybody is very interested in how they come across to people. Uh, you think? And, uh, I, I know. <laughs> Only uh, in this day and age, with the economy being the way it is, as much as people want to know, they certainly don't want to pay for it, or they don't. They might be really looking for making changes or improvements, and um, that really that's not what they mean. What they mean is, tell me everything I need to know about myself to get better. And, oh, by the way, is there a fee attached to this? So they really? want a quick and dirty solution, and they don't want to yeah, pay. Yeah, that's exactly right. Everybody's looking for a deal. And my deal is that no matter how long anybody works with me, they're going to walk away having more awareness, uh, more strategies and techniques, and confidence to be able to make the changes and be the person that they want to be. And we move uh like process slowly um, overnight successes are too difficult to maintain um, I have learned the hard way when uh, a corporation hired me to train a woman whom the uh, senior vice president eventually wanted her to take over his position 
and she was so offended by the fact that there were many stylistic appearance and attitudinal changes that she needed to make that she thought, well, now that I'm looking better and now that I've had a kind of a dynamite makeover, why is it now that people are complimenting me? So it's it's amazing how much a person's appearance feeds into their overall status and demeanor as an executive, as a leader, as a business person. So it sounds like somebody who takes the time and effort to to learn and transform their their image, their their appearance, and how they come off. It, there's a huge uh, payback or payoff for that. There really is. Uh, there was a former Harvard Business School study that said that 55% of our first impression is a visual one. 28 is through the tone of our voice, the quality and, and uh, that we use when we speak. And the rest, I guess it's 17%, are the actual words we use. And as it turns out, 100% of our first impression is based on what we look like and how we stand and what our posture is and our demeanor and the optimism and enthusiasm and confidence and appeal that comes across by the way a person enters a room, shakes your hand, looks you in the eye, and then they start speaking. So when a person looks like, is, is in the linguistic terminology, is congruent, in other words, the way you perceive that person and the way that person is coming across is all like having a good hair day, then the expectations are raised for your audience that if you look so great and are handling yourself with such pride and and confidence and uh, thoughtfulness of others, then probably the sound of your voice is going to carry an even stronger message. So uh, a big part of presenting a positive and professional image and presence is through the sound and tone and quality of a person's voice. You, you know, you just made me think of something. The What's that? The early days of the talkies, the, uh, the sound pictures. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a, a, a period of time when people who had a particular image that came across in the silent movies, they may have come across as very powerful, handsome men and beautiful women. And some of them w- turned out when we went to sound pictures, their voices didn't match what you expected of them, and their careers were killed overnight. That's when uh, dialect coaches and voice coaches careers really started to uh, to be hired and mm-hmm. to be managed because a, a person's appearance and mouthing the words in the silent movies is a whole lot different than giving rise to your character and what you're trying to convey on the screen through the voice. It's... Um, and what is the new movie with um, Matt Damon um, and his having a South African uh, – oh, Invictus, mm-hmm. um, about Nelson Mandela, where um, uh, there are so many great character actors who are being coached. There's actually a voice, a dialect coach who's, who was hired for the movie. 
So, and that happens a lot. Yeah, I'm not familiar with that movie, though. I saw, I actually did pass uh, an ad for it today, but other than that, I'm not familiar with it. Yeah, I'm going to see it over the weekend. Um, I went to school um, in Connecticut with a woman named Carla Meyer, who lives in California, and she is famous as a dialect coach, giving a dialect, getting rid of a regional accent, changing any kind of a nuance uh, with the accent, with the dialect, with the voice, with the with the pace, with the pitch and tone, and especially for women, the voice becomes a crucial successory that most of us really don't pay attention to. We kind of take for granted that we're going to get up in the morning and that throughout the day our voice is going to carry the message and our delivery is going to be just fine. But like any athlete who is designing and fine-tuning their muscle memory, we need to do that with our voice. We need to take good care of it. Give it rest, practice, uh, do running musical scales, uh, eat right, and uh, know about enunciation and all the facial muscles around the mouth. There's something like 200 muscles around the, between the nose and your chin, including the lower part of your cheeks. And most people just, when they're giving a presentation, they're thinking to themselves, well, I know what's going to come out of my mouth, so I know what's coming, and what difference does it make that I need to really, uh, uh, like an athlete, run through the finish line and enunciate every single word very clearly. So that's actually part of what, what you help people with. Yes, I do. I did not know that. Yes. Oh, that's great. I've just come back from teaching for the American Management Association at mm-hmm. one of their facilities. This one is in Chicago. And we were emphasizing a lot the voice because one of the women who works in the healthcare business where when you're a healer and a helper and a giver and someone who's in charge of making sure everybody feels good doesn't really think of their appearance and how they sound. And this woman's goal for the program was to change her image and to become someone who presents a an executive presence. So we had a great time with her. How would you define an executive presence? An executive presence doesn't worry about what's happened in the past, doesn't try to put too much hopefulness into what's happening now that will affect their future, They're able to be present moment to moment without worry, without self-doubt, without trying to ingratiate, without any of those thoughts that the internal monologue going on would be self-defeating for how you're coming across. So it takes a little preparation to manifest that executive presence. So in that executive presence, has that person has that person mastered their 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 inner doubts or are, are they do they just deal with them? I think they deal with them. I think they're thinking about other people, their relationship builders, their managers of the situation, 
they see, I think executive leaders and someone with an executive presence is so focused on what's going on right now and is there anything missing? Is there something that needs to happen in this meeting, in this interaction, in this large group or small group presentation that I can make a difference with? So I think that when we're too focused on ourselves, we miss opportunities to notice other things that are going on outside of ourselves. When you think of somebody with a great executive presence, somebody who, out of somebody, say, in the media or somebody in government, politics, somebody who's well-known that somebody listening might relate to, who could you think of as an example of that man or woman has a great executive presence? Well, most people use Bill Clinton as an example. Um, and yes, he did have a great presence and was very charismatic. And he made you feel and still makes you feel as if you're the only person in the room, that you're the only person that he's really thinking about and caring about when he's talking with you. Mm-hmm. However, it matters to him that everybody notices how he is doing that. So he has his ulterior motives, in my opinion. I don't know the man, Mm. and I've never met him. But it matters to him how everybody thinks of him and how he's doing. So it's not totally selfless. And I think that anybody with an executive presence has the gift of accepting and honoring the kind of power and influence they have, and they make other people around them feel just as powerful and just as influential. Mm. They don't hold on to it and make you feel powerless. They make you feel more powerful. I, I actually had the opportunity to meet Clinton. Oh, you did? In an in a unusual circumstance. It was right after 9-11. And I was walking out on uh, 3rd Avenue, 51st Street. There's a police station and a fire station next to each other. And um, that entire block was barricaded because, you know, for obvious reasons, that that fire station lost many men. Mm. And Bill Clinton was hanging out at the fire station for a couple of days and just basically being with the men there. And I happened to walk by when he was near the barricades on the street. And just anybody, he can't help himself. If he sees people, he has to come out and say hello and shake hands. Yes. And I said, oh, I you know, I mean, I saw him from 50 feet away and I he's so the magneticism the magnetism yes. of him it's pulled my eyes through him I immediately felt him and I said I need to say hello to this man and I, I got through the crowd and got up to him and I, you know, I remember getting past a secret service man who put his arm on my, hand oh my, on my shoulder and I was like oh I'm sorry and he goes oh no I'm just trying to get around you buddy you know mm. with, the, with the glasses and the earpiece and, and I finally got up to the president and well the, the ex-president and I, and I and I said I you know I wish I could have voted for you again he shook my hand and and he looked me you know he just looked me in the eye and he took me in oh boy and I was you know and he said uh, it was an honor to serve you sir well I mean he just uh sometimes people just are so adept at saying the right thing and um, just being clever and being um, right on top of 
what they need to say that's going to make someone feel good and just be very selfless in that way. And he was really a genius at that. Yeah, and in that moment it was he it was he speaking to me. I was he wasn't That's right. shaking my hand and moving on. He took me in. He wasn't trying to get anything out of it. It was just pure right. human being to human being, right? Uh, right. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, I I'd never felt anything like that before or Wow. So you were left with uh, a very positive impression of of him he, Probably and he made more you feel than it great. Had been. Absolutely. Mm. Well, that's a gift, that's for sure. It really is. I remember meeting the former chairman of Sears when Sears used to own Dean Witter and um other Wall Street firms where I knew some people at at that time. And this man was a hayseed incarnate, uh, just real down-home, humble, uh, and brilliant. Definitely not showy, just a real, sincere, farmer kind of personality and appearance and attitude. And uh, he, he just was... He didn't look like someone who would be coming up with all the brilliant ideas that he had to make the Sears organization so powerful and so successful. Well, those are the kinds of things I heard about Sam Walton. Yes. And I've heard about Warren Buffett even. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. Somebody who, who is not going to speak down to you and and uh, will will relate to to anyone. Right. Uh, someone who can be as uh, sincere and respectful to a doorman, if you will, as they would be to the chairman of the board. And that, that's a special, that's a special, uh, I don't even want to say skill, it's just a special way of being. Yes, it is. And it also, they know that it matters that that they come across that way, that it's a part of their... Um, it, it has to be a part of their resume almost, mm. uh, and remembering people's names. And the chairman of a company will uh, walk by and say, well, how is your aunt? Uh, I remember uh, last week you were telling me that she wasn't feeling so well. How's her health? Has it improved? And meanwhile, the secretary is sitting there thinking, oh, my goodness, this person really does care. He really listens. And so, so many it's, people it's, who don't do that. Uh, uh, most most of us really don't. Right. We're just so self-involved and so stressed out. And uh, I mean, I, I, this is such a difficult time in the world, and no one's really breathing. And by that I mean, we're so tense and worried, and what's going to happen next? Whether it's the economy or the war in Iraq, uh, the new president, uh, just the banks, uh, business people going to jail. So we're not taking in as much sustenance to maintain ourselves as as we could. And I saw that with my AMA group and their breathing. 
I mean, it, first of all, when you're trying to build a relationship in the beginning, no one's breathing because everybody's thinking, and they're thinking, what am I going to get out of this? Do I like this instructor? Uh, is she up to the level that I expected her to be? So everybody's going through their their own process. And then when you have that rapport, when you have the trust in someone's competence, then they really start listening but then I have to tell them about breathing and show them how to do it. So they're not putting more pressure on themselves, but really taking in what's being said and responding. You know, speaking of um, presidents and executive presidents, how would you uh, look at our current president in that, in specifically in that light? As far as his presence is concerned? Yes, the executive presence, as you put it, he, uh, has, he being the chief executive. I Well, with the, uh, he's definitely the, the CEO of this country. I think he is a brilliant spokesperson. I wonder how many speeches he's given so far since he's been president. I mean, he, yes, he uses the presidential Lucite um, uh, way of the – what am I trying to say, those lucite pieces that uh, have his um, his speeches rolling on them. Oh, that, you mean the teleprompter? That's, thank you very much. Blanked out on that. That's okay. The teleprompters and the presidential ones are lucite. And he, he, I mean, he keeps his speechwriters really, really working hard, I must say, working overtime. But he seems very natural. I'd like to see what would happen if one of those teleprompters stopped working, and would he know what was coming next? Well, it's interesting you say that because I, I, I recall a couple of moments when he was not working with prepared material where he didn't quite seem on his game during the campaign, mm-hmm. where he hemmed and hawed and odd and ummed uh, quite a bit. Was this in one of his town meetings when he was meeting with students or when I, it was I kind of recall, improvisational? I don't recall the uh, the setting for it, but I remember noticing that, okay, here he is not having spent hours uh, rehearsing or whatever, whatever it is that he does. I imagine he does that. And having to come strictly from, from answering. And he, I mean, he didn't, he didn't have the kind of, the kind of uh, mental challenges you might say that, that Bush sometimes had when he was uh, speaking impromptu, but I did notice a difference between that fellow and the prepared speech. But mm-hmm. on the other hand, I've, I've also seen him in a, in a relaxed uh, conversational interview where he's done just fine. But my, I guess my question for you would be, wh- is there anything that you would have him do differently in, in your role if you were coaching him? Well, um, I, I think for for your listeners who are uh, tuned in and who are wanting to be brilliant public speakers themselves, I think that what we can learn from uh, President Obama is that he makes it look easy. Uh, and with that, anybody who is giving a presentation, and most people fear it tremendously, if you have passion and care about your topic, that is a real bonus 
when you are trying to express sincerity and having your delivery match the quality and the confidence and the desire to teach your audience something. Also, if you don't practice out loud to a live audience before, and I'm not saying, you know, the day of, but if you do it gradually uh, as you're writing your presentation or as you're practicing it, to give it to a live audience, if you stand up in front of a group and you haven't practiced it and the wor- you haven't heard the words come out of your body, you will almost turn around and say, who said that? Mm. Gee, I didn't intend to say that. Oh, wow. Gee, did I say the right thing? And it's just horrible. And so many people think, well, hey, I'm a professional. I've been in business for so many years. I can count on myself to be able to give this presentation. And every time they don't practice, they fall on their face and the uh, $5 million off-site meeting that you've held at the Arizona Biltmore, that's a beautiful place for an off-site meeting or in Scottsdale, Arizona, mm-hmm. you might as well kiss that money goodbye. Because you're not going to be sincere. You're not going to be believable. Everybody's going to feel duped and taken advantage of. So everybody needs to know what it is that you're saying. If you have a speechwriter, make sure that your speechwriter knows what are your catchphrases and what you're known for doing. Um, And practice with a live audience. Care about what you're talking about. And have someone throw some questions at you so that you don't fall flat on your face at the end of your presentation when people will ask you certain questions or to express something again or explain something. Um, I guess uh, I don't really know how Obama is doing with his giving up smoking. Well, I think he's still smoking uh, because I can tell that when he's talking, when his mouth gets particularly dry or his lips are looking especially purple these days, that um, he still hasn't put down the, the cigarettes. Um, mm. And as far as anything else is concerned, uh, when he's walking toward us, the bottom of his tie is always showing and it he needs to button the lower button of his jacket. Okay, Mr. President, if you're listening to the show, <laughs> be sure to take that very powerful advice. But, you know, m- more than anything, I-, I think your audience is, is concerned with how the uh, normal uh, businessman and businesswoman can give a presentation. Absolutely. We're not likely to be having the president listening in, but we might have the president of a small company listening. Well, that's for sure. Um, and if you ha- if they have a, I happen to have a format where you can make it seem, once we choreograph it together, you can make it seem as if you are speaking off the cuff and that your talk is, being given uh, spontaneously and improvisationally. 
and not and you will not come off as if you're reporting or as if you are speaking from a script. Well, that sounds very exciting. I'd like to hear more about that um, without, of course, you giving away the whole store, but what could you tell me about it? Well, um, it, it, it's, it, it's a format. It's a, it's a, it's a uh, kind of like a flow chart of uh, starting with your point of view, your purpose, and the principle that you're standing behind, you know, the, the reason for giving your, your presentation. Uh, and then once you start off talking about that, you then tell the audience what's in it for them as far as their participation is concerned. So you say uh, what, how this presentation is going to work today is uh, my associate has given you uh, those little golf pencils and index cards. So if I say something that you have some questions about or you have had some experience with, then please write it down. And uh, we'll be taking breaks uh, through the presentation. But I'd like to hear from you what have been your experiences. Um, or you say to the audience, we'll be... Um, after the lunch break, we'll be meeting in different rooms for smaller breakout sessions. So again, with the golf pencil and the index card, please write down your thoughts and uh, your feedback and your comments because I definitely want to hear from all of you. Or I'll be giving, a, giving out the, a copy of my presentation, uh, which will be in the back of the room at the end of the talk. Um, and I look forward to getting to know as many of you as I can. So then you say, there are three main reasons for that support what it is we're going to be talking about this afternoon. And you go through each one of those, and then and then each one of those has underneath it um, three specific examples, uh, evidence, some form of support for your three reasons. And then at the end, because your talk has been so interesting and so much to remember, it's always the last, last three things that we say that are the first things that people remember. In the same way, when you leave a meeting or when you leave any, any form of an interaction with another person, People are going to be remembering what you look like, how you sounded, and what your what vibes you were giving off. In the same way, in the presentation, you mention when I was talking about those examples and that evidence mm -hmm. that support uh, the three reasons. You choose the most powerful reason that you would want to have the audience remember and retain. Because, again, it's the last three points that you leave behind that are the first things that the audience is going to remember. So as far as um, appearance goes from uh, project projecting a positive and professional presence, it's um, neatness and grooming. As far as voice projection, it's clarity and speaking about something that you're very familiar with. So they, you have that passion and that purposefulness behind it. And then your body language which is uh, self-possessed, uh, enthusiastic, uh, smiling, uh, optimistic, 
uh, thoughtful, and um, and then also when you have finished talking, you do not make the mistake of saying to the audience, uh, "Does anyone have any questions?" <laughs> because yeah. because that puts the audience on the spot. Then they become your they they become the speaker and you become their audience. So no one is going to ask that first question because they're going to seem like a dummy. Does anybody have any questions? Well, yeah. Uh, so you say, I welcome your feedback. I entertain any thoughts or comments that you have. And let's discuss further what we've been talking about in today's meeting. And if no one says anything, then you, as a speaker, take the responsibility by saying, well, you know, when I was first putting together this talk, one of the first questions I had or the first comments I had that I thought you might want to really know more about was X. Hmm. So uh, I can make a comment about that, and I certainly would like to hear from the rest of you because you're out in the field, you're the salespeople and the, and the sales managers. I'd like to hear from you, you know, what's working and what's not working. I have to tell you, I'm I'm absolutely fascinated by the by your your statement that that's the the big mistake that, that speakers make because I probably have heard that particular statement of does anybody here have any questions uh, hundreds if not thousands of times. Yeah, I know. And then did and then there's and then there's that uncomfortable pause. And that's because you put the audience on the spot. Now, all of a sudden, they have to remember what kind of question they might have. And if they have a question, maybe they weren't listening all that well. And if, if you do find yourself saying, does anyone have any questions, and there is that pause, then you as the speaker pick up the ball and say, well, you know, there's a question I have, actually, as I've uh, just finished giving this presentation and one question I have is, how difficult is it going to be for all of you sales managers to be able to um, raise this amount of money this year? How do you see uh, looking at the company's uh, culture and mission in a different way? What are you going to do differently? So, you know, you just have to stay with it. You just have to be clever, clever and um, focused. But if you're focused on how am I doing, do they like me? Did I say the right thing? Oh, I shouldn't have said that. Oh, I da, 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 da. If you have all that mind chatter going on, it first of all, it infantilizes your image. You become much less of a successful presence in front of everybody, and you're really doing yourself a disservice. Really the best kind of presentation to make which, again, I think Barack Obama does so well, and so does Michelle, by the way, is that they make it seem very natural as if they are strictly having a conversation with you. Reminds me of... Um, Don't you a, think? I mean, aren't I they do. natural? Absolutely, they're very natural. Uh, what, what actually just came to mind was not a, uh, a speaker, but the performer who's no longer, with, no longer with us, Perry Como. Oh, for heaven's sakes, I knew him. Did you? I grew up in Long Island, and his children, Terry and, oh, I knew all of his children. We used to uh, swim together out in Sands Point, where they all had a house. Oh, wow. 
Well, he he was uh, one of the things about him was he made it look so easy and so natural what he did, being uh, performing that it, it it I think it really brought people in with him. He was able to have those very intimate television shows, uh, the the Christmas specials for many. Yeah, many he years. just seemed so comfortable, didn't he? Yeah. And he wore those kind of comfortable, relaxed, uh, attractive clothes too. It always felt like he was inviting you into into his living room. Yes. And that was a that was a particular quality that speaks to what you're you're talking about and not not as a as a speaker but as somebody who does get on the stage. That making it look easy. That's quality. right. Now, someone years ago was interviewing Martina Navratilova and said to her, Oh Martina, you know, you make the game of tennis look so easy. How do you do that? And Martina, I must say, with a little bit of defiance in her eyes, looked at the interviewer as if to say, well, you dummy. I mean, I practice eight hours a day. If I'm not actually practicing playing tennis, I'm throwing a medicine ball or I'm running or I'm lifting weights or I'm playing basketball. I make it look easy because I practice all the time. So the muscle memory that an athlete has, should be the same kind of muscle memory that a an elite corporate executive ought to have. Just practicing. And practicing because they enjoy it, not because it's a hardship. And that's that's really going to be the difference between someone who who really comes off in that particular way and someone who doesn't. That's right. Just make it seem just second nature because when an athlete, when Martina, for example, when she was playing a lot, and she's still playing, actually, when she goes out on the tennis court, she's very much at home. The ball comes to her at a certain depth and a certain speed, and her body just knows, her arm just knows where to reach her racket, uh, how to run, uh, how to take the small split steps. She just knows because she's practiced. But... A lot of, you know, we kind of normal people in the business world just don't think of it that way. We put too much of the wrong kind of pressure on ourselves. Mm. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's just thrilling to stand up in front of a group of people and make a presentation. It oh, really absolutely. Is. Well, you know, you give presentations, don't I you? I have given presentations, but it's actually, actually the next step for me is probably working with somebody like yourself to... I really master that that aspect. Well, it, it's 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 really um, it, it it can become an addiction. You know, you you kind <laughs> of aren't really yourself unless you're giving a presentation or teaching a workshop. Or I mean, I often feel that way. Uh, I also am. A, I, I perform from time to time, and just being on a stage and handling handling a mic, handling a mic. Where is, you, you mean as a, like at a comedy club or something? No, I've done uh, I have done comedy, but I, I've done a lot of singing. I've done many, many, uh, many chances to perform with a trio or piano or even a big oh. band. Oh, what many fun! Years ago, I used to accompany myself on guitar in the, in the clubs downtown. Oh, good for you! And that's a you know that's that's pretty scary when you first do it. Oh boy, I should say. 
<laughs> it's a good place to fall down. Yeah. You're alone up there. You just have your guitar or whatever you have. Um, I mean, someone who's really just, geez, such a genius at it is Robin Williams. Mm. But he's been through a whole, whole lot in his life. Sure. And has had some help from some external influences making sure that he maintains that high that he used to need to uh, to be a performer. My um, my brother-in-law um, got his start in California uh, directing Mork and Mindy, and he's told me many stories about arriving on the set and... Uh, kind of the uh, ambiance, the atmosphere, and what was going on at the time. Because uh, there are a lot of performers who need to, um, where the high doesn't come from within, but it comes from external resources, shall we say. Ah, uh, I think I know what you're saying, Diana. <laughs> so, Diana, <coughs> you know, I normally do this early on in the show, but I... Yeah. Never actually got to ask you uh, how you got to be Dinah Day, well, besides being born with that name. Uh, Tell me about your background. Well, let's see. Um, I always was a very confident person. I think that I just naturally was that way as a child. Uh, Friends of my parents from El Paso, Texas were my mother and father's best friends, and uh, they used to say that I never learned to walk as a baby, but always to run. I was always running and going and doing, and and then when I was four years old, I had polio. So I wasn't able to do much of anything for about a month that it took for the polio to, uh, luckily for me and for my family, when it went away, it just disappeared. Oh, are you very lucky? Oh, and I had it in my back and my neck, and the doctor uh, told my father that I had to lie on something hard and flat. So he took off one of the dining room doors in our house in Great Neck. So I was on that for a month, and my parents didn't know every day how I was going to be. I mean, would they go into my room or whatever room I was sleeping in on the door, uh, whether they would find a, an alive or a not alive child. So I think um, I've always been very resilient and have uh, never really been afraid to take chances. Uh, so my career started as a, as a school teacher. That was my training in child psychology and also music. Um, and then I was teaching school and making so little money in a private school and was going to uh, college uh, at night school uh, to get a four-year degree. And I thought, well, this is not going to earn me a whole lot more money in a private school. So then I switched my major to uh, communications and... Uh, loved that so much that uh, I went from there to uh, studying at a Herbert Berghoff acting school down on Bank Street here in New York, where Herbert Berghoff was married to Uta Hagen, one mm-hmm. of the most famous acting teachers in the world, 
who were so brilliant. And so I took those courses, and I thought, wow, this is great. And uh, also I had I had that kind of background in my family. My mother's father um, was an amateur actor who was from California and performed at the Pasadena Playhouse. And um, actually he died overseas when he was entertaining the troops for the USO. And so I'm trying to find out how to get involved with the USO and, um, I don't know, maybe do workshops for the veterans or something, but I, I would really, I'm really pursuing that quite quite heavily. Um, I just, and one thing just led to another. I'm an athlete, really? I'm an actress. I thought, well, let's, why don't you see if you can become a sportscaster? This is after I'd been a professional actress and did a lot of television commercials and films and and everybody was saying, oh, it's going to take you a long time to do that, and you're going to have to move out of New York and start in a minor market. And three weeks later, after I started, I was hired by ESPN to uh, do a major series of major um, major sportscasting. And that was really a joke because I sold myself so well, and they they bought what it was I was saying, and they hired me. And I thought, oh boy. And uh, we uh, this show was. Um, out in Salt Lake City, and I remember the director saying to me, oh, Dinah, you know, you're so cute when you're nervous. And I thought, what kind of an ass is he? And I said, you know, I didn't come all the way out here for you to tell me that. You're my my director. You're supposed to make me better. Um, Anyway, and then there was a, a very tragic event with my mother dying of cancer and our going through that whole process together. And um, at the end of four months, I thought that I had been uh, really reborn and that my mission really was to go out in the world and teach confidence and help people get closer to their goals. And many more aspects of that have come into my my coaching and training, and I think I'm one of the few uh, career coaches and counselors who use a television camera and a television monitor to be able to prove to a person, a client, why they are so good that they have no understanding about it. Because most people, when you ask them what they like best about themselves, they'll tell you what they don't like best about themselves. And that, what do you mean? That's, that, that, because... We, first of all, we were brought up to think of other people and not to talk about ourselves. Mm-hmm. But when you ask someone what they like best about themselves, most of them, especially if they're female, will say, oh, what do I like best about myself? Oh, gee. Well, I'll tell you what I like best about you. So it's very challenging and my challenge to myself in my life to understand why it is that people can't say something positive about themselves. What is it you like best about yourself? That I'm a survivor, that I'm resilient, that I'm willing to do whatever it takes to learn, to help other people, to, uh, to, 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 to play sports, to get to know people, to go up to someone at a party. I mean, we were talking about this out at the AMA in Chicago. I said, what is it? Why can't we say what it is that we admire about ourselves 
Because certainly when you're in a job interview and the person who's interviewing you or the people who are interviewing you say to you, well, why do you think we should hire you? What are you going to bring to our company that's going to make us more productive? You better know what are those skills and feel comfortable in talking about them. You're not bragging. You're not being conceited. You're just educating someone who's asked you a question, a very rational question. But we get all goofy and weird when we have to say something nice about ourselves. It really it just really bothers me. It's actually something that I do with all my clients is I have them work on a greatness and passion exercise to see what to, to really discover what are you great at and admit it of things that you are great at. Oh, that's terrific. And what how do you do that? Well, it's it's simply to ask the question and have them come up with a list and I will work with them if they can't think of anything and I will encourage them to okay what what are the, some of the things you've done and get them to admit aren't you great at that? And then put that down. Yep. That's good. That's brilliant. And it could be anything. It could be doesn't have to be I'm great at um, you know building cars. It could be I'm great at organizing my shelves. I'm great at bicycling. I'm I'm great at reading. I'm great at making people laugh. I'm, it could be mm-hmm. whatever comes into your mind. And and that is the kind of muscle memory that we're talking about. That you know you hear yourself say these things, and you begin to believe them. And the reason why building self-esteem and self-confidence and the belief in your own greatness is so difficult is that it is an inside job. It does not come from the outside. There's an expression in um, uh, relapse prevention that's called uh, being externally referenced, meaning you get your compliments and you get your belief in yourself from what other people say about you. Or from how you look. Mm -hmm. But it all comes from the inside. Well, I, with a face for radio, certainly know uh, that... No, I'm just kidding. What? (laughs) I said, I, with a face for radio. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) You ever heard that expression? Yes. uh, uh, I've heard people say, yes, I saw you on the radio last night. (laughs) I love this. So I have I have I have a good question for you. I'd like to know from you. I know this is something that you've worked with people on. How, especially now in this market where a lot of people are looking for jobs, you know, I, I tend to work with people who are working, looking to create their own job or their own business, their own entrepreneurial skill. But for the people looking for a job, how do you handle yourself in a job interview? What would you like to talk about there? How do you handle yourself in a job interview? Mm. Now? Now. Um, I don't think it's any different than how we've always handled ourselves. Uh, You have got to, first of all, you've got to show that you really want the job. So that during the interview when when you're asked, well, what questions do you have for us? You certainly better have researched the company and what trends are they uh, what what's happening in the company what what mergers and acquisitions have they done? How has their culture changed? 
uh, you have to be um, you have to act almost as if you work for the company and that you know these things. You have to be uh, not self-centered at all, but other-oriented to be able to present yourself confidently and with a certain amount of, I don't like this word very much, but a certain amount of elegance and class and have practiced. And you certainly better be familiar with your resume, which most people are not, and you better not have told any fibs on it, by the way, because you'll be found out and you'll come across hoping that someone doesn't find out that you have put some things down on your resume that are not true. So, so I shouldn't co- talk about the, my my stint at Vandalay Industries? <laughs> your what? I'm sorry? My stint at Vandalay Industries. That's a good Seinfeld reference. Oh. Um, uh, you, a lot of young people... Uh, don't even give themselves a chance to sit down on the chair. The first question they're asking the interviewer is, how many how many weeks vacation do I get? So there are a lot of really young 20-somethings who are so self-involved and want to know what's in it for them hmm. that uh, they really blow their chances. But you know what? They don't really care because they're so involved in the social media that they'll figure out that they can get a job somehow through Facebook, Spacebook, Lacebook, Racebook. <laughs> I mean, I mean I, I'm, I'm of an age that, yes, I understand about those, um, those opportunities, and a lot of people find great jobs on the Internet. Um, I'm just not that familiar with it, nor do I really like it all that much. Um, I think it's tiring, and I think that, uh, I mean, the last thing I think about at the end of the day is, hmm, how many messages do I have that I can uh, go to my LinkedIn account and find out who who wants to link in with me, or how many connections do I have? I just don't think about it, because I was brought up in uh, looking for jobs and, and at times when People used the telephone. Remember that? Remember the telephone, the landline? Oh, yeah. And also when they met each other face-to-face, no one's meeting each other anymore. Everybody is texting and uh, having lunch in front of their computers. That's why everybody's uh, d- uh, etiquette is so terrible, and their communication skills have really suffered. They don't have a clue how to express themselves. And um, it's really a shame. It's really a shame. So I think that the Internet and everything that it's offered us as far as progress is concerned has been a retrogression as far as our uh, ability to present a positive image and to be able to speak well. So um, uh, just, just interviewing, just practice, 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 and reinvent yourself every day. Did you ever see the the original Time Machine movie? I'm not sure. Tell uh, me. Rod uh, Serling. Not Rod Serling. Rod something, and um, I, I actually can't think of the actress's name. But it was in the early '60s. Uh, so in England, it goes into thousands and or twenty thousand years into the future, or 
many more years than that. And, and uh, one of the things that he discovered is that nobody had any any language skills anymore. Nobody read, and he couldn't find any books anywhere. He finally said, "Do you have any? Where are the books? Don't you have any books?" And this, all, all these people were blonde-haired, blue-eyed uh, surfer people. And uh, books, we have books, takes them to a closet where there's the only books that are there. And as soon as he opens them up, they turn to dust. Oh, you're kidding. I kid you not. And that, that really has stood in my mind for many, many years. And it was uh, the, the, the de-evolution of, of language that happened in this. And I, and I sometimes notice that that... Uh, some of our skills have been going down the wayside. People don't uh, don't know how, how to physically write anymore. That's true. Uh, people don't have, know, know how to write in complete sentences, and 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 grammar is going by the wayside. Oh, forget grammar. Grammar and spelling. Jeez, it's unbelievable. Your yellow legal pad does not have spell check. <laughs> um, it, it's terrible. And 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 we talk about this in, in workshops, um, especially if there are young people. I remember actually teaching another class, and I mentioned to this young person who was uh, kind of a behind-the-scenes computer type, and I said, now remember, when you put your dockers in the dryer, take them out before they're completely dry and spread them out on the table that's in the laundry room, and get those creases, uh, make sure that the creases are straight uh, because you don't want to appear at your job uh, looking as if uh, you're as rumpled as the sheets that you didn't ever sleep in because you're working all the time. Mm. Well, the guy didn't come back for the second day. I remember that. Wow. Uh, yeah. So. Um, Not very coachable. Not no, not very coachable at all. He didn't want to hear that. So, Diana, believe it or not, we're down to our last couple of minutes of the show. So now would be a really good time to make sure that anyone who would like to reach you know how know what workshops you have coming up. Let us know. Well, um, the workshops I have coming up are always designed for the person who's calling me. Okay. So, uh, if you would like for me to give my cell phone, I'd be happy to do that. Cell phone website. Uh, cell phone is six four six. Three three nine 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 five five, and my website is dinadayimagecoach dot com, and that's spelled D I N A H day D A Y imagecoach all one word dot com, and you can reach me that way through my website, uh, or call me up. We can schedule. You can. I, I'm not. Uh, I'm a small company, so I don't have workshops at hotels around the country uh, year-round. That would be great if I did. But any workshop that you would want, we would design for you. Got it. Okay, Dinah, I want to thank you so very much for being with us here on Coach's Corner on Blog Talk Radio. Thank you so much, Andrew. You you ought to go to the jams, uh, people who make the radio jingles, and have a Dinah Day jingle made up, as far as I'm concerned. I think we're oh, great. thank you. Dinah Day. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening to Coach's Corner, and we'll be back next week. I'm Andrew Poritz at Ingenuity Coaching, myfuturecoach.com. Thank you, and good night. <laughs>